Today, Jesus reminds us that God's presence is inevitable and hiding is futile. This is Michael Stevens. This is the Frequency Podcast. So today we're getting into Matthew 5, through 37, which is ultimately a continuation of the passages we just looked at in regards to divorce and remarriage, and now we're moving into oaths. And so this all fits in perfectly together from a topical standpoint. So let's go ahead and jump into the passage and then we'll get going. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let's see you say, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, again, I'm just saying, want to reiterate this again. We're hearing Jesus jump in and say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, remember, if you're just new with this jumping in, that the rabbis, uh, anytime they were discussing text, they would defer to someone else's authority. And they would say, you have heard it said, and then they would go on and they would give their interpretation. Jesus here again is claiming his own authority over the text. I also want to point out that from a rabbinical standpoint, what Jesus is bringing up is not necessarily here a new or revolutionary thing. I believe that Jesus is using this to reinforce what he just brought up with men using the text as a license for sin or a license to divorce at will and and satisfy their own pleasures and uh, ultimately using the text as an excuse and creating loopholes to live like the rest of the world was living when they were called to a much higher standard. So jumping in at first glance and really at second glance for that matter, this passage can be taken completely at face value and at the same time understood that Jesus, again, is setting forth the ideals of living, the the highest ideal of being a part of and representing the kingdom of God to the rest of the world, to demonstrate to the world what it looks like for a people to be submitted to the kingship of God for us as, as we identify with it, the lordship of Jesus and what it looks like to live under the blessing when God is kinging. Now, it would be amazing if collateral was never needed to secure a loan. I mean, that would be incredible if we never needed lateral to secure a loan, if we never had to run a credit check, if, if we never had to do any of that, or if, if people didn't need to swear in court and, and be put under oath. Those would all be incredible things for us to experience and see. But unfortunately, I think we can all agree, that's not the case because people are broken. Uh, people have issues. Let's be honest, we all have some issues here. And people often need something to keep them anchored such as collateral or an oath in order to help them keep their word or even simply give a testimony that's true which you know any glance at the news and political scandals and everything else and and just not even political scandals but scandals in general or even just life experience it's amazing how much false testimony there is against so many people in so many different situations So in the Jewish culture, there were two types of oaths. There was the binding oath and the unbinding oath. And binding oaths were oaths that ultimately invoked God's name, which, side note, this is where we we get the phrase taking God's name in vain from. Uh, I, I know that while we as Christians, and I certainly grew up hearing this, that we often refer to the cuss word GD as taking God's name in vain. 
however, probably a more appropriate description of that would be to say that that's profaning God's name. Uh, taking God's name in vain has to do with using or invoking God's name in an oath between men as collateral and then not upholding your end of the oath. So you're, you're literally using God's name as the thing you're swearing on as collateral, uh, that God is the witness, but then not upholding your end of the bargain. That is taking God's name in vain. That's where that comes from. So binding oaths were just that. Uh, for a couple of scriptural references, you can see Paul put himself under a binding oath in 2 Corinthians 1, 23. Uh, he said, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming to Corinth. That sounds slightly terrifying. Uh, in Galatians 1.20, he says, now the things that I write to you, uh, in writing to you before God, I do not lie. And there's an exclamation point. I just didn't want to shout into the microphone. Uh, Jesus was also put under oath and he didn't object to it. He was put under this type of oath at his trial uh, before the high priest when the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. I put you on oath by God himself. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. So there's a couple of, of examples. And so here's here's the point. When, when you did this, when you invoked God's name in an oath, you were bringing God into the partnership. So it's not just you were matter-of-factly or, or flippantly using God's name, which was the problem here. It became far too flippant for men to, to invoke God's name and, and different things to make oaths. And so, but it was that you were actually bringing God into the partnership. So it was extra serious to keep up your end of the bargain or more, a more appropriate term, the oath, which is something we are so unacquainted with in our culture. And then to not keep up your end, but then leave God holding the bag. Like that was a big problem. And, you know, there's something I think that we all miss of the days when, you know, man's handshake was as good as his word. And there's lots to be said about this from other readings and writings, as well as just common sense um, that I haven't covered, but we'll keep going here. The second oath was unbinding. In other words, you made an oath, you put something up to swear on that you actually had no ownership in and it couldn't retaliate against you. So if you broke your word, there was no real consequence here except for maybe a severed relationship or someone looking at you differently. And men use this. They, they, they allow them to keep the appearance of seriousness and severity. But in reality, we're just creating loopholes to justify their sin. Uh, this is the same thing we saw in yesterday's episode. This is why uh, this is tied to the same flow of thought that came right out of the topic of divorce. Men were again, getting legalistic with the text in order to live lives less than God designed them to. And this didn't go away in the early church either. It's why we see Paul warning us not to use grace as a license to sin and Peter warning us not to use our freedom as an excuse or a cover up for evil. And so Jesus was, was making a point that people were taking efforts to include God or exclude God from transactions as if somehow that changed the necessity for them to be honest human beings. It's ridiculous. Uh, the rabbis taught that someone who broke their word was worse than an idolater, which is incredibly, uh, an incredibly serious offense for, for Jews. And so Jesus was making a point that regardless of what you swore by, God's presence was already there. If you swore by heaven, he's on the throne. If you swore by earth, that's his footstool. If you swore by the temple, which was referred to as heaven and earth as a, a cultural idiom for the, for the temple, he, he was there too. In other words, you can get as technical and as legalistic as you want, but it's impossible to exclude your accountability and God's presence from the promises that you're making. 
So as we wrap up today, I want to serve warning and awareness to all of us not to perform what I call atheistic compartmentalization. It's a big word. It's a big phrase that I created. As a follower of Jesus and lovers of God, we often select areas of our life that we attempt to do the same thing as the men are leveraging here. They're leveraging Torah for divorce and breaking oaths. We place boundaries on areas of our life we want exempt from God. I'll give you an example. One of the most common areas people do this is their finances. I simply call this financial atheism. In other words, you can touch all of these other areas, God, but this is the one that I'm going to act like you don't exist. And placing boundaries and leveraging scripture to exclude our accountability as a follower of Jesus and God's presence and his rightful lordship in our lives is a futile attempt to avoid surrendering little for the one who has laid it all down. And it's the kindness of God that he points out new areas of our life to surrender and bring under the lordship of Jesus. So I'd encourage each of you to ask him to do that, to highlight areas to bring under the lordship of Jesus. After all, the areas that we bring under the kingship of God in our life become an open demonstration for the blessing of God and a demonstration to the world of what it looks like when God is kinging. Who wouldn't want that? However, the areas of our life we refuse to surrender to God run the risk of remaining exempt from the blessings of his reign and his kingdom. Thanks again for listening. This is Michael Stevens. This is the Frequency Podcast. 